0: Good morning. Today we're in the book of Jonah. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page 774. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying... I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. While we were yet sinners, in the deep, lost, spiritually dead, you came and rescued us. And you have put our feet upon the rock. How grateful we are. Open our hearts, open our minds. Let us receive that word you have for us now, with thanksgiving, in Jesus' name, amen. In
1: 1901, a young man who would be affectionately called Pops was born. Pops would go on to be a good, a great musician, recording, awarding, getting awarded, even Grammy awards with recordings of songs such as St. Louis Blues, When the Saints Go Marching In, or All of Me. In 1938, the great Louis Armstrong pops recorded one song that didn't win a Grammy award and you may not have heard of it, but it's called Jonah and the Whale. Quote, "Now the Lord made a whale long and wide. He swallowed up Jonah, hair and hide." Now Jonah started to pray in the belly of the whale. He repented of his sins like a man in a jail. Now Jonah must have been a bad man. He must have been a sinner. Because when the whale got him down, he didn't like his dinner. Well, he swam around the ocean, sick as he could be. And after three days, whoops, he had to set him free. Or maybe your understanding of Jonah chapter 2 comes from 2002, where the first full-length film of VeggieTales was produced of Jonah and the whale. David and Goliath may be the only story in the book of the Bi- in all of the Bible that rivals Jonah and the whale for being most known by anyone who's never attended church. You could ask anyone. They've at least heard David and Goliath on the football field. Jonah and the whale is a common tale. G. Campbell Morgan, the Presbyterian minister in London, said this, quote, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish... That they have failed to see the great God. Last week we began our series here in the book of Jonah. And we began by acknowledging, verse 1, chapter 1, that God's the primary mover in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is not a highlight reel of sea adventures. Of a whale of a tail, if you will. The book is a highlight reel of... Of attribute after attribute after attribute of God. God's initiating and mercy. God's love. God's grace. God's kindness to sinners. Even this week we'll see verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. We're taking four sections in the book of Jonah over four weeks. And every single section begins with the Lord. Last week, verse 1, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord. This week chapter 1, verse 17, which in the Hebrew is actually chapter one uh, verse one of chapter two, and the Lord appointed. next week chapter three, verse one, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. and finally chapter three, verse 10, two weeks when God saw what they had done, what they did. This book is the highlight reel of God's moving acts of kindness to sinners. And a whale happens to be a bit player in the grand narrative of God's glory here. If you're looking at your Bible this morning, you'll notice in verse 2, there is a summary of this entire prayer. A summary of the entire prayer. The first part of the prayer is Jonah's cry for help. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Second part, God's answer to Jonah's cry. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. A summary of the entire prayer in verse 2. And so we're going to take this whole prayer and divide it as the summary divides it. The first half being Jonah's call for help. second half, God's answer we're gonna look at 2a and 3 through 6a which is jonah's call for help now when we left jonah last week he was somewhat in the middle of the air so to speak he had just been slung into the sea, hurled into the sea, as the Bible tells us, splashes into the water. Sailors have seemingly no idea that he would be rescued. The sea calms. Jonah's going deep, deep, deep down into the sea. And God appoints a saving grace. This large fish. I'm not sure what Jonah was thinking at the moment. Or what he was desiring at the moment. But it seems to be that he had probably resigned to the fact That it's all over. Maybe he wanted it to be all over. We're not quite sure. Running from God even to the point of death. And yet what we see here is Jonah's rescue being a miraculous provision. I'm not sure Jonah would have viewed this whale as a miraculous. Or this fish as a miraculous provision. Could it get any worse in Jonah's mind? I'm sinking to the bottom of the sea. Oh yes. It can get worse. How about the belly of a fish for three days? With no hope of getting out. No promise that you'll even be alive three days later. Seemingly a potentially prolonging even of his death. And yet the fish is not a punishment. Though it may be in the eyes of Jonah... It's actually a saving grace. Because you'll see in verse 17, And the Lord appointed. The Hebrew, the Lord had appointed. The fish for Jonah is really one of a long list of God's sovereign hand of mercy, unable to be thwarted by the rebellion of man. An ark was provided for Noah. A sacrificial lamb was provided for Abraham a stone was provided for David and Goliath a fish is provided to save Jonah God again being the one who moves to save well Jonas I'm not sure when he prays but finally begins to get a clue chapter 2 verse 1 then Jonah prayed then Jonah prayed if you're reading for the, the story for the first time, the the automatic thought is now you pray. You're a prophet of God. Why didn't you pray? Chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. What did he do? Drop down on his knees and ask, Lord, help me to figure out how to love these people that hate me, and I really don't like them. Oh no, that's not what the Bible says. Then the Lord, then Jonah prayed. Jonah here. Certainly in this portion of life seems to be a crisis prayer. How about you? Are you a crisis only prayer? We do not know when Jonah prayed this prayer, but a bit of conjecture on my part, I don't think it was the first day that he prayed this prayer. I don't think it was the second day he prayed this prayer. Maybe the third day. Finally getting to the point of no return in a sense, and I might as well acknowledge and pray. A person in rebellion against God oftentimes has to go a lot lower than we think they have to go before they begin to listen to what God has to say about the matter. We don't have to go that low. We don't have to sink that far into our sin before we cry out to God. No, that saving hand of mercy is there that we can throw ourselves upon. But oh no, oftentimes we want to test it to the nth degree. How should we respond even as we see brothers and sisters who are seeming to tax that limit of merciful kindness by God? Well, we should respond with patience, with kindness, loving them enough to tell them the truth, to repent, to trust his sovereign hand. But also to know that what we presume as a little too far outside of God's saving ability is never outside of God's saving ability. Pray for them. Patiently wait. Don't lose heart for that person based upon what we see. Keep heart based upon what you know. That God is powerful to save. Our prideful, arrogant line of thinking that Jonah's got here, that I've got this, I can do it my way, I know what's best, mentality has to die for the Christian life. Having that type of mentality will get us into deeper water faster than we can possibly swim, faster than we can possibly control. It is God's way, not my way. It must be. The path of life in Christ runs parallel to the path of death to self. We have to be those who are willing to die to self and humble ourselves. And notice here, what we see here just in in one verse, 117, is the tenacity and patience of the God who saves what a pathetic individual he is rescuing. It's not as if this is a, the golden boy of minor prophets. I look down the, the list here. I've got the roster of 12 pro- Oh, there's Jonah, top of the list. Yes, this is the best. I will, no. What a pathetic man running from God. And yet the saving power of God is not confined to clean living. As if, if Jonah had done it right, it would be only, God would only save with the person who did it right. It's not confined to a place or a circumstance. It's, it's no more difficult for God to save in the seemingly eleventh hour, as he's doing with Jonah, than in the first hour. It's no more difficult for him to save in the loneliest spot versus the crowded spot in the farthest corner of the earth. God's saving power is unlimited and unaffected by all that we assume and believe to be, quote-unquote, hard. That's too much for God. That's too far. That's too far gone. That's too hopeless. Not in God's economy. A flea no more slows an elephant in full charge than a sinner on a raging sea all alone slows God's merciful hand of salvation how about you do you believe that this morning notice how he was saved it wasn't by a boat it wasn't by a helicopter it wasn't by a rubber ducky a floaty a piece of driftwood a submarine everything we would say is, got to be in place for this person to be rescued, isn't there. He's in the middle of the ocean, by himself, nothing but him and God. And that is all that is needed. So whether or not the fish, as the Bible calls it, was a whale, or whether it was another large sea creature, I don't know, but what is clear is that Jonah was miraculously saved by the only one who can save, God. And yet let's not also miss, in the saving of Jonah, the misery of sin. Whatever sin may offer to you as pleasure is simply a facade. It's a false front. It cannot fulfill on its promises. It's a mirage that never delivers, but in fact only delivers misery In misery now or misery later? What should our response be? James 4.10 Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Lamentations 3.55-57 I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Presbyterian minister John Flavel said this, quote, Christ looks down from heaven upon all my afflictions and understands them more fully than I feel them. Christ looks down from heaven upon all my afflictions and understands them more fully than that I feel them. So we have the opportunity to humble ourselves and cry out. And God has put Jonah in just the right set of circumstances to get his attention. Joan is recognizing that. You see that in verse 3 and 4 and 5 and 6a. Casting into the deep, heart of the seas, floods surrounded me, waves and billows passed over me. I was I am driven away from your sight, yet I will again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains, the depths of the sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me Forever. And he's in the fish now. Under the saving power of God. And things begin to now turn in Jonah's prayer. Look at this second section here. Salvation belongs to God. Beginning at the second half of verse 2. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. And then it continues with the work of God through 6b. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. All the way through The end of the chapter, verse 10. One commentator on the book of Jonah says this, Jonah may deserve simple punishment for what he has done, but simple justice is not God's way. His love drives him beyond justice. It's It would have been enough and even proper to either let Jonah sink to the bottom and perish or let him stay in the fish until his dying day. And yet God's love. I called, verse 2 and 3. Why? Because for you cast me. God loves us enough to discipline us. Hebrews 12 tells us this. To bring us into a realization of our dependence upon him and the need to repent and follow him. God loves us enough to not allow us free reign, but actually constrains us. We think of the the great psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because God, the good shepherd, either takes us into the valley or our sin brings us into the valley. But God is never absent the valley. He is as much there in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. And so there is no place outside of the presence of God. He is as much with Jonah on top of the boat as he is with Jonah in the fish. As he will be with him in Nineveh. And so thus, though we have no hope of enduring the sovereign hand of God turned upon us... Verse 4-6, through six, yet 6, yet you, but you. Ephesians 2 tells us, but God, being rich in mercy. The two greatest words maybe in all of the Bible, but God. Because everything else is us, but God. God moves to save, and he did. You see that 6b, yet you are, but you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God, no one else. The but God. God, the one who moves, brings us into right relationship, into his presence, verse 7. That's what it means, into your holy temple, into the presence of God. Why? Because we we earned it, because we liked it, because we want? No, because God moved and brought us there. He delighted enough to save us. More than just provide justice. Jonah moves to verse 8, where he begins to in a way, contrasts himself, ironically enough, with the pagan sailors that were calling out to multiple gods. Look at it, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols. We remember in chapter 1, these sailors who had multiple gods, and they sort of were going through the list. They called Jonah up on, on deck and say, Okay, which god are you serving? We've got to pray to him and see if he can rescue us. Working down through the list. And Jonah... Seemingly saying, those are the ones who pay pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, ironically enough, he has not been the one who has moved to thanksgiving first. Those were actually the pagan sailors in verse 16 of chapter 1. But here he is, Jonah, instructing us of the empty vanity of our own idols, of of man-made idols. Uh, Picture the uh, absurdity of of walking in uh, to your room or or to a place in your house where there's a vanity sitting uh, next to the wall and you walk up and you see this person peering into it kind of fixing their hair a little bit and you walk around the corner to see what they're looking at and they're looking at nothing. There's no mirror in the vanity. And you would tap them on the shoulder and say, "Uh, you're wasting your time you can't actually see anything there's no mirror there it's it's worthless what you're doing and that's exactly what job uh, excuse me jonah is saying is it's worthless it's it's empty it's a waste of time to pay regard to vain idols why is that well back at 2 18 to 20 tells us what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it a metal image a teacher of lies For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But, there again, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Forsake their hope of steadfast love. Another way to put that would be covenant faithfulness. A love that only God has that never wavers or moves. And so really what you see here is Jonah calling by his writing or whomever wrote this story to a people, the people of Israel at that time, tempted by and even giving into the sin of idolatry with foreign gods. Amos and even Hosea, before him, calling the people of Israel to recognize the guilt of their idolatry and repent. And in like manner, it's the same for us. John Calvin said our hearts are idol factories. We, we build them as fast as they can come down the assembly line. This word forsaking. With that You can't forsake something you did not know. But as believers, what we so often do is we know the steadfast love of God for us and we move away from it. To that idol, to that thing that we think will satiate, will help, will relieve us, even of the guilt of our sin. So whether it's the God of drink, or the God of self, or the God of family, or the God of approval, or the God of education, of standards, whatever it might be, we look to these gods, we look to these idols to relieve us from our sin, and Jonah is saying, all these things are in vain. They're worthless. They cannot fulfill. Nothing is to be compared to the steadfast love of God that never leaves nor forsakes. So Christian, do not, please, do not deny the work of the gospel by turning in your heart from the work of Christ, atoning for your sin once and for all, and to other gods to relieve you from your sin. Christian, your sin has been relieved at the cross, and the sin you have been have committed, will commit, and has committed, has been paid by Christ. He purchased your forgiveness from that sin. That forgiveness was granted at the cross and it was recognized through repentance. First John one nine tells us this. Jonah sees this. And thus his admonition that those who turn towards something other than God to deal with their sin is actually turning from the one who has already and steadfastly dealt with your sin. Verse nine, then salvation belongs to the Lord. That's why we turn not to vain idols, but to the Lord, because he is the only one that offers salvation. And notice it does not say salvation is offered by the Lord. Salvation is made available. Salvation's a good sale at Walmart. Go down and get you one. No. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, Romans 3 tells us no one is good. There is not one of us that is good. Romans 18 tells us by our unrighteousness we suppress the truth. What this means is God would not be the first we would reach out to or the last we would reach out to unless salvation belongs to God and He moves first. Thank God that He does. No, our salvation is not simply offered to us by God, but He actually initiates and makes the first move by doing what we cannot do, changing our hearts to look to Him and recognize the work of Christ for us on the cross In the grave for three days. Rising, declaring his power over sin and the grave. And securing for us hope and assurance of a right relationship with God forever. Mike prayed in the prayer of thanksgiving and noted the picture of Jonah in the fish is similar to the picture of us in our lost estate in sin. Under the hold and power of sin. In death Like Jonah, as much as me, why we might want to, we having no ability to save ourselves. But God, being rich in mercy, acting, moving, working, salvation knows only he can do. And so the question has to be asked in the book of Jonah, is there any ability to outrun the merciful hand of God's saving power? I'll offer to you a couple ways that we attempt to outrun that merciful hand hand of saving power. How about darkness? Is there a place so dark God cannot be there? Well, maybe that darkness is physical darkness. Maybe that darkness is a culmination of a bunch of heinous sins. Whatever it might be, the farthest place one can humanly go is actually where we are this morning. The darkest possible place you could go from your sin, from God, is actually your sin. That's the darkest place you can possibly be in relation to to God is in sin. It is. There's no physical darkness that's too dark that he's not there. You remember in the book of Exodus, there's ten supernatural events that God uses to get the enemies of God and his own people's attention. And the ninth one is the plague of darkness. This is what it said. They they could not, they did not see one another for three days, illustrating the darkness of sin. Is God somehow not able to see there? No. He sees quite clearly. Psalm 139, verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Is there a place too dark God cannot save? No. How about a bunch of really bad sins? If I do a bunch of really bad ones, does that remove me from the saving power of God? No. David, a man after God's own heart? If there's anyone that should have been removed, it was the one who had a man after, who had a heart after God's. And here he sins, and that wasn't just the sin of lust or the sin of adultery, it was also the sin of lying, and it was the sin of murder, and it was the sin of deceit, and just keep on going. Does that remove David from God's saving mercy? No. How about how about Rahab? She's a harlot, she's a prostitute. Is, is that remove her from No. There is no amount of sin or any sin that is outside of God's saving power. Okay, fine, alright. So, what about just full-on rebellion? I'm going to go 100% against God, cognitively, knowing it, everything I want to be able to do, I'm going to do it against God. Is that outside God's saving plan? Ability to save? No. Think of Samson, a man who rebelled against God. God has the final say. Think of Judah. Maybe one of the bad boys of Israel's sons, and yet God draws him back, and even gives him the privilege of being in the line of Christ. Does grumbling and complaining cause us to be outside of God's power? Meaning, I, it, I've just been—I've been complaining too much about what's happening in my life. God, God can't save because I, I'm not thankful. No, think of the Israelites. Think of Job. They were complaining an awful amount. God still saves. Why? Is there nothing that can remove us from the saving power of God's hand of mercy? Why? Because Christ the Son was tempted as all these were tempted and yet without sin. David, the man after God's own heart, yet did not have the heart of God. Christ, the Son of God, had the heart of his Father, perfect in every way. And thus, Hebrews 7.25 is told to us, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely Those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. And so I offer to you this morning, if you do not know Christ, if you are dead in your sin, and you're listening to me, and you're looking at the Bible, and you're thinking, well, I've gone too far. No, you've not. Will you humble yourself and look to God for salvation through Christ for you? He is offering, and He offers the death of, of Christ in place for the death that you deserve for your sin. He offers the life of Christ assured by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But the offer is only through Christ, there is no other way through. And so, will you look and believe that Christ's perfect life is given in exchange for your sinful life? And will you acknowledge that belief by repenting of your sin? And trusting in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that to make you right with God. Christ, in Matthew 12, will acknowledge the work of Jonah. He says then, chapter 12, 38 and 40, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees asked him, meaning Christ, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except The sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The grave, that is. Notice, Christ is equating his death physically... With Jonah's presence in the belly of the great fish. This is not a vacation time for Jonah in the belly of the great fish. It's not an 8th century BC submarine ride that he's enjoying. And having to peer out the portals and say, wow, look at those sharks. No, not at all. He's actually in a near-death experience. But he is as much under the sovereign hand of God for his glory. As the Son of God was under the sovereign hand of God presiding in the tomb For three days. And thus. If you are saved today. The work of salvation. Is more than simply possible. It is actual. Because of the work of the cross. Of the work in the tomb. And the work of the rising from the dead. By the son of God. He has saved you. Salvation belongs to God. It is his work. And that gives us. Not some hope. But actually tremendous eternal assurance. His love has saved us. He's the one who has taken our sin. Your real and perverse and heinous and violent, nasty sin, all of it really was, Christian, placed on Jesus at the cross. The wrath of God that was reserved for you really was taken by Christ for you. Our God saves, and when he saves, nothing, not one thing or anyone can remove you from that salvation. So, in closing, what's the proper response? What do we do now if we see that salvation belongs to God? Well, Jonah tells us this. A voice of thanksgiving, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Simply worship. Simply thanksgiving. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Brothers and sisters, we should be the people most grateful. We should be the most thankful of people all of life has been given to us and all of death has been removed from us all of our hope has been secured for us in Christ so are we regularly giving thanks to God for saving us are you giving thanks for the circumstances he has lovingly lovingly placed you in are you giving thanks for that or is repentance in order Maybe some thought patterns are not what they should be concerning His sovereign hand in your life. And repentance way, may well look like opening your Bible this week. And reading through Romans or Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 or Colossians 1 and recognizing again the mercy of God and saving you as a sinner. Because the gospel makes us adequately sized in relation to God. If we look away or past the work of Christ, it will always result in an inflated view of ourselves and a deflated view of God. And so the result will then be ungratefulness, complaining and grumbling, self-centeredness. What sin this morning are you or are we running from? What are you trying to remedy on your own? What sin are you trying to finagle and, and work And fixed by your own power that is causing you distress. Brothers and sisters, the distress of your sin is actually a grace. It is a grace. It's serving the purpose to call our attention to the hopelessness of our own ability. And calling us to cry out to Him. So will you do that? God delighted and delights to use His creation here a fish. To show mercy on whom he will show mercy in order to accomplish his will. So how far can you run from God? In man's eyes, pretty far. In God's economy and in God's view, never out of sight. Winston Churchill, never let a good crisis go to waste. I don't know what you may be experiencing in your own life. Some of us I know are experiencing some crisis. Today is a good day the best day even, to take advantage of that crisis of sin and turn in saving faith to the God who is mighty to save the lost and the hopeless. is mighty to save those who are saved. Verse 10, we began this morning with Jonah in the sea. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded, yet another, of a highlight real image of the sovereign authority of our God in commanding, commands the fish and it vomited and it hurled Jonah out upon dry land. What a prayer Jonah offers and has offered here. Is his repentance genuine? We'll find out. Seems to be for right now and yet he has a ways to walk. If you look at a map where he may have been, the closest point he may have been hurled onto the Land was still potentially hundreds of miles to go before he would reach Nineveh. And as he walked, he has a lot to think about. And maybe he played over and over and over again in his mind the highlight reel of God's mercy. And we would say, surely, surely you have someone else that is a bit better. Surely you've got me to work with. But no. No. Every one of us, are paintbrushes that have simply lost their ability to be precise that God delights to use on his canvas of great glory for himself. We found Jonah this morning in the sea. We leave Jonah this morning on the beach. His circumstances have changed. The God who, never, who saves never changes. His plans for glory still go forward. Thus, next week, we will look at how God's power to save and mercy towards sinners is manifested through Jonah's message to the city of Nineveh. Father, forgive us. We're so often walking away from your will. At least in our minds we are. We we decide to go our own way. We decide to do our own thing. And yet, Father, your will is fixed and you will accomplish your purposes. You use us Even in our sin, for your glory, and you command all of creation, if need be, to display to the world your saving hand for us in our sin. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are mighty to save. We thank you that salvation belongs to the Lord, that there is salvation in no one else, no other name. Given among men by which we must be saved. By which we are able to be saved. We thank you that you have saved us. That saving is not for just but a moment. But is eternal. That your love is not constrained. But you discipline us. So Father this morning if there are those here that. Have hardened themselves to you. And you are disciplining them that you would. Give them the grace to repent. Father, if there are those of us who are even seeking to walk in repentance and yet burdened by the difficulty of our sin, burdened by the circumstances that You have placed within us in our lives, help us to not grow weary and faint. Strengthen us to look to You. May our eyes be lifted that we may acknowledge that in Christ we have the ability to be in your presence. That Christ intercedes for us. And that we might be those who are quick to call out to you. Quick to pray. Quick to acknowledge your sovereign hand. Quick to acknowledge your love. Father, as we turn now to the joy of being able to see the work of the gospel displayed in the picture of baptism, baptism, We ask that you would strengthen us in an even deeper way as we behold the work of Christ in the life of a man. We thank you for Jonah, the book and the lesson. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.